Jake, don't run off. Uh-oh. Don't run off. You know, uh, Chris and I were able to have a couple weeks off with our family and go on a trip, but that's only possible because of the teaching that we have. And this guy is an awesome teacher, isn't he, man? Just thank you so much, dude. And I know it embarrasses you a little bit, but the Bible says that the, the workman is worthy of honor, Jake, and you did a great job. And all of us appreciate the gift that you apply here. Thank you, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome. So glad that you're here. If you want to take notes, they're online. There's some fill in the blanks. If you want to just listen, that's great too. We're in a series called Non-Negotiables, and in a nutshell, it's just simply this. We believe that non-negotiables are things that are not on the table, things not up for argument, things that we don't vote about. We think they're eternal things. Jesus made this really important statement. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he said that, that means the things that he said are the same way. They don't change regardless of custom. They don't change regardless of time. They don't change regardless of what we see happen in culture around us. They stay the same. Why is that important to you? Because Jesus also taught this, that the wise person builds their house upon the rock so that when the storm comes, the house will stand. He said the foolish person builds their house on the sand and that same storm when it comes and you've built your house on things that are shifting, that are changing, that can't be counted on, the house will fall. Isn't it amazing that Jesus never promises that you won't have a storm? In fact, he promises just the opposite. If you live in this world, you will go through storms. It's the truth, but how you build and what you build on determines how you survive, how you fare, how, how successful you are. So the whole term non-negotiables is looking at things that Jesus was very specific, very clear about, that the Bible doesn't give room for, for like, hey, this is opinion. It just simply says it's this way. And it's believers, if we'll build our lives on those things, I can promise you this because Jesus said this, you, regardless of what happens in the world, you can have success, you can have peace, you can have joy, you can have a life that is built uh, consecutively and is built long-term, amen? And so that's what this is about right here. Uh, Pastor Jake spent some time developing that, Chris and I did on the very first week. This weekend, the non-negotiable that I wanna teach on, and I think you can find this non-negotiable from the book of Genesis, all the way through Revelation, you'll find it over and over and over again. It's not said exactly the same way, but the theme is there and you can clearly find it if you're looking for it. Our non-negotiable that we're gonna teach on today is that we are not to live our lives full of fear. We are not people who are full of fear. Now, I know that that does happen. I know we're tempted. I know that we live at times where uh, it, it's, it's, it's one thing for me to stand up here and say that we're not supposed to be people who are filled with fear, but I, I face it just like you do. Things happen. You get a report sometimes. Something doesn't go the way you want it. Things that you trusted in. Things that seem like, man, uh, our, our country's all in agreement about a particular thing, and then suddenly it all switches. And how, how many of you know that it's a very fearful time we're living in right now? People are fearful for their jobs. They're fearful for, for things in government. They're fearful for things that they, they, they have just for the longest time thought, hey, uh, there's a lot of stability. And all of a sudden, when stability gets shaken, it can cause a lot of fear. So that's where this message is going to, uh, to, to minister this weekend. And um, I, I, I'm going to take a little bit of a different take on it. And then let me give something away. 
I felt like these two things are really important. I felt like the Lord gave me a word that I'm supposed to speak out at the end of this. And I'm saying it right now because I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm trying to prepare the soil so that when I give the word, it, it falls in a, uh, the seed will fall in good soil, right? So I'd like for you to even be asking the Lord right now, prepare my heart for this, get me ready to receive what the word is. And then the second thing that I want to share with you simply is this. God also gave me um, a ministry opportunity where I'm going to ask you to be bold if you want to receive ministry. Now you're like, well, tell me what it is. You got to listen to the message. Okay. So that's the, that's the deal. So uh, our non-negotiable is, is, on, um, is, is on fear, is that, that God doesn't want us to be people who are full of fear. So let me, let's, let's talk about this because there are different kinds of fear. When I say God doesn't want us to have fear, that doesn't mean that, um, that all fear is bad. Some fear is good. Some fear will save your life. Wow. Some fear will save your life. And I'll explain that in a moment, but other fear will take your life. And so uh, is there godly fear? Is there demonic fear? Is there normal fear? Is, so we'll talk about that. Let me, let me just give you an example, and maybe I'll ask the question right off the bat. Anybody in this room ever dealt with fear? Man, I'm so glad you're like raising your hand. Like, not me. I've never felt fear in my life. Uh, you will when I get done with. No, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, so let me let me give you an example of um, of of uh, of how fear can work. You know, fear is one of those things that it um, if it can find a way into your life. The problem with fear is that uh, the enemy can use it so effectively to terrorize us so effectively to paralyze us, so effectively to, to, to put us on the sideline. He, he's always probing and looking for a way to introduce fear into a relationship. Fear into, like, if you have a dream or a hope or a desire for the future, don't you know that the devil is looking for a way to introduce fear into that so that you don't, you're afraid to move forward on something, right? And, and so let me, let me try to, I'll give you an example of a, of a thing that I, I dealt with and I thought I had conquered it. And then sure enough, man, it, it, it came back on me. Uh, this happened several years ago, got up one morning, uh, was shaving in the mirror like I had done thousands of times before. Nothing was unusual, but as I, as I leaned in to, to get close, I noticed that on the left side, right here, uh, right above my collarbone, right in this area where you have lymph nodes, it, it appeared to be very swollen. And I had not noticed it before. And so I stepped back to see if it really, does it really look uh, like it's not symmetrical? And sure enough, it, it was swollen. So I felt it and there was a huge lump right there and it was tender to touch. It was really, I, I'd never noticed it before. And I wasn't sure if, man, is, it, maybe it was always there and you just never noticed it. So I called Chris, said, look at this real quick. And what I really wanted her to say was, you know, you're, you're imagining it. But she said, I see it. So she said, you probably ought to call the doctor. So I called the doctor and described what it was. And the doctor, instead of saying, hey, uh, make an appointment and I'll see you in three or four weeks. He said, why don't you come over this afternoon? Oh, wow. So go over this afternoon. And again, I stood in front of the doctor and he, he begins to feel it. He stands behind me and he's comparing this one to this one. And he's feeling, he said, John, I definitely feel it. Uh, it's definitely swollen. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to go to the hospital right now. 
And he said, I'm gonna call the oncology department. I'm gonna make an appointment. I'd like you to go have this checked out real quick. Now, how many of you know that? So Joyce Meyer wrote this book called The Battle for Your Mind. And do you know where the battle of fear is really fought? It's not fought here, and it's not fought, you know, in your wallet, and it's not fought at your... The battle for fear is fought between this six inches right here. This is where fear, and this is important too because whoever wins that battle controls your life, right? That's where the battle for your life is fought. It's, it's David, it's right here between these temples. And so I go to the oncologist and again, I'm hoping that the oncologist will be the voice of reason and will look at it and go, hey, listen, this happens to people from time to time. I don't know why, but I wouldn't worry about it. He examines me, he feels it, and he says, uh, John, I think I need to um, cut it out and we need to send it to pathology. And I'm like, well, when do you wanna do that? He said, lay down. And so he, he numbed it up and he literally took a scalpel, he opened it up, and he took about a half dozen lymph nodes out. And the, the one real big one that was swollen, I saw him pick it up and look at it. And he said, yeah, I, I, we need to send this into pathology right now. Well, now everything else had gone so quick, I was expecting pathology would let me know in about 45 minutes what I was dealing with. <laughs> but here's what he said, it's gonna take a week for it to come back. So I saw it, Chris saw it, my PC saw it, and now, my, this oncologist saw it, right? And it's gotta to go to oncology for a week. And can I just tell you, that's the battle for fear. Most of what we fear is the unknown, not the known. Most of us, even when it's bad news and it's difficult news, if we know what we're facing, we know how at least to get ready for it and how to charge into it and how to pray. But generally, can I just say this? It's the unknown that the devil loves to work in, yes or no? He's great at innuendo. He's great at giving you two or three words about your future, hoping then that you'll begin to write the script for your future. And if you're not paying attention and you're not careful, you'll do just that. So I go home and um, I had two choices. I could go to the word of God and I could begin to read about what God said about my life and read about what God thinks about me or I could go to the Bible of Google. <laughs> and I made a mistake. <laughs> I let Google tell me how long I had to live. And so within about 45 minutes, I've never been to medical school, I've got a Bible degree, I know very little about any of those things, but in 45 minutes, I had actually uh, diagnosed myself as having non-Hodgkin's lymphoma with six months to live. And I came up out of the basement, the color had drained off of me, the battle was already lost, how could God do this to me? My children are so young. And now look, it's gonna sound to you kind of funny, but imagine yourself for just a moment where I was at, and I go to Chris and I'm, I'm just like, honey, I've, I, I, and, and I say this to her, you're a young woman, and I want you to get married again. <laughs> I said, but put my picture up on the altar so that when the kids walk down, at least they remember. Don't let my memory 
die, Chris. Keep my memory alive. I even sat down and I told her, look, here's how I want you to spend the insurance money. Put this away, get college funds set for the kids. I want you travel, take some time off and travel, right? I, it's something I always wanted to be able to do with you and we haven't had a chance to do it yet. So, and you laugh now and you think it's funny, but fear, here's the thing with fear. It never stays isolated in this little thing. You give fear any inroad into your life and suddenly here's what it'll do. It will take over your imagination. Now, how powerful is your imagination? Okay, you're a little kid, and if, if, if you're a parent, you, you, maybe you've had that little thing, you know, your kids, oh, there's a monster under the bed. Now, you know, of course, there's no monster under the bed, but here's my question to you. How real is it to your children? No, so I'm, I'm being serious, right? So, of, of course, you can logically, you know, you, you get under there, you look with me, you know, there's, look, there's nothing there but then you lay them in bed and turn out the light and they are so full. It, it may not be true, but it's their truth. And we think it's silly. And of course we're adults, so we're mature. So I, I, over the years, I have dealt with people whose imaginations have been taken over by fear. I remember having, um, uh, when I was a youth pastor, a young girl who had an eating disorder and when she would look in the mirror, her imagination would tell her that she was way overweight, but she was so anorexic, she looked like one of those people coming out of a concentration camp. And I would say to her, look at what you're doing to yourself, look. And she would look at the mirror, and this is the truth of the matter. No matter what I saw, it wasn't what she saw. So it's not a monster under the bed, it's a monster that now lives in her imagination, had taken over her life, and they had to hospitalize her in order to help her overcome this thing that was going on in her life. And I can go on and on and on and on. So we think it's funny and we think, you know, it's just the imagination. Do you know that the Bible says uh, that the stronghold of the enemy exists in the imagination? It's why it says we capture thoughts and pull them down so that they can't take over our lives. We make them subject to what Jesus says is true. So I'm going through this battle for this week while I'm waiting for this report. And so now I, I'll just be honest with you, man. Some days I had great victory. Some days I was just like, you know what? So the Bible says you are, you are healed and not the sick. You're above and not beneath. God is faithful to you. And even if this does happen to you, you don't know the end of the story. And I, some days I would be so strong, but then it's, I, it, within moments I could crumble and be so full of, anybody in this room ever experienced, you can be so strong in one moment and so weak in the next. You're like two, you're schizophrenic in a way spiritually. So the day finally came in order to go to the oncologist to get to the report. And I was just, I was so tired and I was so beat up and I was losing the battle. And a buddy of mine that I was on staff with, one of the pastors, said, hey, okay to go with. He saw where I was at, and he wanted to lend moral support. You know, the Bible says two are better than one. If you're fighting a battle of fear, it's good to have someone in your life who has faith. I just said something really important. Marry someone who has faith. Marry someone who has faith. Don't marry someone who is faithless. Marry someone who has faith. And be a person of faith. 
So I go to the doctor, I'm sitting in the waiting room and I had just gone through this sleepless nights and these silly conversations. And at one moment I'm convinced that I have it and I've imagined what I'm gonna look like bald and you know, all, all the different things, right? All the different things. And in the other moment, I'm, God's gonna use this and I'm gonna have victory. Can I just say, you know, some of the prayers that we pray when we're full of fear, I want to say something to you. How can God answer a prayer that's not true? I'll give you an example. I'm sitting in the waiting room and I'm praying out loud. I'm, God, heal me. God, touch my body right now. God, I'm too young. God, please. And the Holy Spirit speaks this. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit spoke this to me. I cannot heal what isn't sick. I heard it, man. I heard it in my head and I knew instantly what God was telling me. You're not sick. Can I just tell you all the energy, all the prayer, everything I put that wasn't based in any reality because fear had taken over my life. Does anybody hear what I'm saying right now? God, what a waste of time. So I get up and I go back and I meet the oncologist and he goes, well, John, I have no idea why. Sometimes Sometimes lymph nodes swell and there's no reason for it. Sometimes maybe, you know, maybe you banged into it. Who knows why? But I just want you to know, you're going to die someday, but it won't be from this right here. Woo! Yay! All right, so now listen, listen, I'm going to tell something on myself. I'm like, I'm a veteran of a war that I just won. This will never happen to me again. And if it does, man, I'm ready for the devil. We come and we start the church. And I don't remember how long into it we were. It wasn't that long. Um, And I got a kidney stone. And I had to have an x-ray to find out where the kidney stone was at. And, And so here, I don't know if they still do this. I hope they don't. This was a bad policy that they had. And it was right over here at... uh, uh, Littleton Hospital, um, at like 10 o'clock at night, 10.30 at nighttime, the phone rings. I've already passed the kidney stone. It's out of my mind. The phone rings, and I can see that it's the hospital on my caller ID. So I pick it up, and it's the radiologist who reads the x-rays, and this is what he said. Hey, it's my job to read these, and if I find something, I've got to let you know. And I found a lesion on your liver. A lesion? What's a lesion? So I went to Google (laughs) because it's been so successful in helping me diagnose what's wrong with me. And if you ever just look up a lesion on your liver, uh, a lesion is one of the words for uh, the possibility of liver cancer. And again, now I'm sure it's incurable. I'm done. That's it. Right? I fought this battle before and I won, but now this is a different battle. And so now I come up and I go, listen, you're an older woman and you do not need to get married again now. You've, you, the kids, you don't need that. And you're going to be very wealthy with the amount of insurance. And so someone, they would just want to steal the money anyway. So don't let them in the house. And it's silly and it's funny. And the truth of the matter is, do you want to know what it is? It turned out to be a birthmark on my liver that I was born with that an x-ray picked up. And I spent another week going like this with fear. So pastor, why tell us that story right there? Because if I'm subject to it, I bet you are too. Yes or no? 
And golly, man, just listen to me real quick. I can just tell you, when you're full of fear, it's not just your mind that feels that way. Your body feels that way. Your relationships feel that way. Your future feels that way. Fear, fear is a terrorist organization that the enemy uses in order to put God's people on the sideline. And the Bible is full from Genesis all the way to Revelation of God telling us, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. If he's having to tell us not to do it, there must be plenty of opportunity for us to do it. So that's where the message then comes in today. One of my favorite verses that I've quoted with my children, I quote it with the people that I pastor, I quote it in our marriage, but mostly I quote it to myself almost all the time. Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven. I bet you know it. God has not given us a... One more time, those three words. God has not given us a... But of power, love, and a sound mind. I want you to know the words right there. I want you to pick this up. I want you to see it. It doesn't say God has not given us fear. It said he hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Is it possible that some fear is not just natural, but supernatural? Is it possible? All right, so real quickly, if you are taking the online notes, let me do this. Let me... Let me, uh, let me get this. Here, here's the first fill in the blank. This is very important. Some fear is good fear and some fear can save your life. Not all fear is negative. Not all fear is of the devil. Not all fear is wrong. Some fear is naturally there in order to save your life. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt evil and you knew get away from that thing? Don't mess with that thing. Don't, don't, don't get in a partnership with that thing. Don't do business with that thing. Don't be alone with that thing. Don't commit to that. Anybody in this room ever experienced that? Yes. Have you ever felt evil? I remember early on in our marriage, we wanted to be in uh, ministry. Pastor Terry was my youth pastor. Uh, he, he was so kind. To, he was training me and teaching me, but he, he could not pay me. So I had to do two things. I was trying to go to Bible school. I had to work a job because we were married and I had children. And I was volunteering, trying to learn ministry. And so what I, I would take any job that would give me the flexibility to go to school and do. The job was not my goal. It was a means to make money to pay bills. Does that make sense? So it didn't matter what I did, I would do whichever one was flexible enough to let me do it. So I took this job, we're living here in Denver, I took this job, remember where the old airport was out at Stapleton? I took a job right off Quebec and Smith Road at a car rental company overnight. When people would fly in late, I would, I'd go pick them up at the airport, bring them back, fill out the contract and get them in. So I, I was the night manager for this particular thing. Normally it wasn't very busy, but it's not a great area right there, especially at the time. It's much different now. Now it's, it's gone through a revitalization. But at the time, it was a very dangerous place to work at nighttime. And so they had strict rules. We would deal with a lot of cash that would come in. Not everybody was using a credit card. And I, sometimes I would have four, five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars and they had a floor safe. And the rule was this, when, the, when the, the evening shift changed to the night shift, when I came in, 
my job, you counted the, the, the money real quick, uh, you matched it up with the receipt, you ran it twice, you put the tape with it, and then you got it in the floor safe, and I did not have the combination to the safe for obvious reasons, right? That was my job. And normally it was not a big deal, it was not a problem, it was for safety, but I had this particular situation one time where um, we had this huge rush that saw, I, I don't know what had happened, flights had been delayed and all these people arrived and it was later, like at nine o'clock or 9.30 uh, and it was just crazy. And there were only two of us and we were running back and forth, shuttling to the airport, picking the people up and then we were the ones writing the contracts and getting them into cars. And, and the last thing I had time to do was count the money and get it in a safe. So I had this incredible amount of money that was in a drawer. And I go through this really busy time and uh, it just me and this other guy and the guy left to go pick some people up at the airport and I'm there by myself and I thought, okay, I, I gotta get this money in the safe. So it's pitch dark out, it's not a good area. I'm looking around to see if it's a safe time to do it. I get the money out, I'm starting to count it underneath the counter and this old jalopy pulls up in front and it's two people, a man and a woman in it. And I thought, that's, that's just weird. And the woman gets out and comes inside and I'm telling you, look at me real quickly, I'm telling you evil intent walked in. There was a spirit that walked in with this woman. See, what was the spirit? I don't know, but do, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Evil was there. And I froze with that money like, what am I going to do? And she pulls out $100 bills and she said, can you make change for this? Now I'm a nice guy. So my first thought is generally, how can I help someone? So I started to say, sure. And I was gonna grab the money and pull it up on top of the counter, several thousand dollars. And something inside of me, the Holy Spirit, said, don't do it. So I said, I can't do it. We have a floor safe and it's locked in the fuller safe. It was a lie. I'm confessing to you, I lied. <laughs> She looked at me and she said, I don't believe you. I think you can make change for this. And I said, ma'am, I, I, I can't make change for that. There's no way. I can't do it. And she cursed at me, real ugly, real snotty, and then turned around and walked out, got in the car, and her and the dude said something to each other, and then they sped off. Reek. Two days later, in the paper, this couple went half a mile down the road, went into another car place, got the money and shot the guy and killed him. Killed him. They got arrested because they, that was their MO. They had been doing that to several places. I, I just was unaware of it. I didn't, I, if I'd have known, I'd have been. Fear can save your life. Do you hear what I'm saying? Fear can save your life, but fear can also take your life. I had a guy that worked for me on staff here when we first started the church, and uh, he was my right-hand man, great guy, man. Um, he grew up uh, in a, in a uh, his mom and dad were, were really neat people, but something happened to his mom right about the time he hit high school, and she got this thing called uh, agoraphobia. If you don't know what that is, it, she became afraid of everything and she would not leave the house. 
She wouldn't get in her car. She wouldn't open. She was afraid that if she went outside, something was going to happen. It was an unreasonable fear. It was a, uh, um, it, it was just, it was beyond the pale. And no medicine, no counseling, no nothing. It, it, it ended up costing her her marriage. It isolated her from her children. Look at me. She didn't die, but she may as well have been dead. Fear can take your life. Do you get what I'm saying? So it can save your life and it can take your life. And if you're, you're filling in the blanks, it's save and take. So, so let me just real quickly, I'm talking about fear. What fear is good? What fear is bad? What fear is of God? What fear is of the enemy? So just let me quickly do this. Okay, so let me talk about healthy fear. There is such a thing as healthy fear. God has given us healthy fear. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in writing to a church in Corinth, had a problem. Um, this church had allowed sexual sin inside of the church. First, it got into the leadership, and then because the leadership didn't say, hey, this is wrong, the people underneath the leadership began to believe it was okay to say that you love Jesus, um, also to misuse sex. Affairs were rampant. They just... And it was in the church and it was causing, <clears throat> excuse me, such, such uh, disrespect for the church. And Paul found out about it. So he wrote to them that, hey, this can't be. You cannot, it, it's not that you, look, God forgives us for our sin. God, rest aren't you glad that God's a restorer? So I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying there's a difference between a person who falls into sin and needs to repent and a person who falls into it and then justifies it and says, I'm going to keep living this way. And that's what had happened in this church. And it was bringing such a disrepute to the name of Christ. So Paul writes this church and he says, these things, brothers, it cannot be this way. It's in your leadership. It's inside the body. You've got to stop it right now. And then he makes this statement to them in the middle of what he's trying to teach them. And it's first Corinthians chapter six, 18. And he says these words, run from sexual sin, run from it. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one sin does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Against your own body. Run from it. What he's trying to, to get across to them is, look, there's something in your life that you've learned to become it should frighten you, but you've learned to burn your conscience so that what should frighten you no longer frightens you and you're living with this thing. Let me give you this great example. Church wasn't that old. We were uh, two years, three years. We had, we'd started in a school not far from here. We got into this little small storefront and I look out over this crowd. Not all of you were with me during that. I see a few faces of people who were with me all the way back in those days but most of you have no idea what it was like. So we're in this very small storefront at Broadway and County Line. It's about 4,000 square feet, and God did this magnificent, we grew to more than 1,000 people in 4,000 square feet. I was doing so many services, it was, just, it was crazy. And I, I had to be everything to everybody. I couldn't hire specialists to help me. So I, I cleaned the church. I counseled. I preached. I did men's ministry. Chris did ladies' ministry. We did premarital count. I'm doing all the way. We're doing everything. 
So it was not unusual for me to find myself just out, you know, amongst people at different times talking. And, and so the service gets over and it was, at, it was, we had five services then. It's at the end of the fifth service. I was really, really tired. Uh, very small place. There were two entrances. Julia, remember that there were two entrances in and out of the, of the sanctuary. You, you, you remember, right? And so um, I walked from this little small office I had into the sanctuary on my way out of the building. Everybody I thought had left. And there's this very attractive, beautiful young woman. And she's standing there waiting for me. Now, even though I was doing everything for everybody, I still, there was always a standard that I realized I've got to be careful, right? But this was unplanned and she, she caught me and I was tired and my guard was down. And so she said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And I looked around to see if anybody that was anybody there didn't witness this conversation. Because you know, the bottom line, do you want to know what, Pastor? The only thing we have is our reputation. Right. It's our integrity. And if we lose that, we've got nothing. We've got nothing. It doesn't matter how good I can teach. It doesn't matter what I... If, we have, if you can't trust that what I say, I live, uh-huh. Right? So I find myself face to face with this beautiful woman. No one else is around. I don't know where Chris has gone to. And she said, Pastor, can I talk to you? And I should have said, make an appointment. But I gave into the tyranny of the urgent. I said, what can I do for you? Man, she walked right up in my space. You ever had that happen? Like she got in my space and then she got in my space. So we're like very close to each other and I'm trying to back up, but she keeps coming forward. And this is what she said. You do so much for so many. What can I do for you? Man, the wrong answer in that moment. And I lose everything. The woman that believed my promise, I will devastate. My children, they'll forgive me. We'll still have a family, but there'll always be an asterisk, won't there? And I'm not saying anything to anybody in this room who's violated something. God is a restorer. He, he puts things back together. I'm just saying for me, the, if I'd have said to her, you're right, I'm tired. What can you do for me? <laughs> Here's what I have going for me. I'm not suave. <laughs> I'm not slick. I'm not fast. I'm not, I'm not debonair. I'm not continental. I'm a country boy for the most part who gets nervous. Uh, one woman has ever flirted with me and I married her. <laughs> so she does this and this fear, all the alarms go inside of me. So I had no debonair answer. All I did was say, you could pray for me. And I turned around, I wheeled around and I ran. I ran out of the room like a little scared boy. I ran, I literally ran out of the room. And when I got out of the room, I'm yelling, Chris, 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 you won't believe it. 
I don't know what happened to her. I never saw her again. I, I don't know if it was a trap of the enemy. So you might be sitting out there, you know what, you overread that. Let me tell you something, man, you know. That fear thing is in your life because you know when something's wrong. God put it, it's the Holy Spirit that touches that fear thing and you know, don't do this. It's gonna be very costly if you do this. So just look at me real quickly. Some fear is there and it's there for good reasons. It's healthy. And if you'll listen to that, it will keep you from going into business with the wrong person. It will keep you from a relationship that you should not have in your life. It will keep you from, from going down uh, uh, the wrong street at the wrong time, meeting the wrong crowd. And if you learn to turn that fear thing off, look at me real quick. Man, the devil's gonna exploit you and he's gonna get you. And God is merciful. And God is forgiving. And God is a restorer. But the worst thing about it is there are real consequences, aren't there? I don't mean to dwell on that. So, um, um, <clears throat> Let me give you the second one. Let me talk about demonic fear. So we read that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So, so some kinds of fear are a spirit. Genesis chapter three, I go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. Uh, it's the very first time that we read about fear. And so I want to show you where fear comes from, but even more importantly, I want to show you what fear is designed to do. This is what the enemy wants fear to do in your life. And Adam and Eve are not unique in how fear uh, messed them up. They are a prototype for all humanity that when, when we succumb to the fear that is demonic, this is what it's going to do in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So let me read the story real quick. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Eve answers, of course we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden. She replied, it's only the fruit from one tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. Because God said, you must not eat of it uh, or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And the devil just absolutely calls God a liar. You will not die the serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. Look at how she's convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that the fruit looked delicious. The lie of the enemy never comes as a maggot, moldy, infested, ugly piece of trash. His lies always come disguised as beautiful, desirable, healthy, profitable. Uh, uh, this is going to be good for me. If it was ugly, you, you'd, you'd go, no way. But he disguises it. She, she is not some stupid woman. This is a brilliant person who's been misled by a lie. How powerful is a lie? Hmm. The woman was convinced 
She saw that the tree was beautiful, its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So here's what she did. She took some of the fruit, ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Watch the wording here. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Look at the wording. So they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Adam, where are you? And he replied, look at this wording. I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid myself. Read the next three words with me. Because I was afraid because I was naked. The very first times the word fear appear in the Bible is when the enemy has misled man and woman. And here's what I want you to see more than anything else. The result of fear in their life was that they went the opposite way from God. They did not go to God. And it has started what we live with today, that most people are afraid of God. So they'll deny his existence. They'll do everything they can to not have to be exposed to him and, and be in his presence. They sew fig leaves together. They don't use plants, but they'll use jobs, people, busyness, are you with me right now? Anything we can to put us in front of God because we're convinced that God really doesn't accept us. He really doesn't love us. He really doesn't feel that way about us. And that's what fear has done to mankind. And the very last enemy, death will be removed and fear will be removed so that your desire is for God. And the benefit of being a believer who lets the Holy Spirit infiltrate your mind is that it removes this fear and you love to be in the presence of God. Amen. You love to be in the presence of God. Demonic fear is marked by these three things. Listen, this is my experience in dealing with people. Demonic fear, not good fear, not godly fear. Demonic fear is not, it, it, these three things. Demonic fear is irrational. It doesn't make sense. You can't tell a person, that's, that's crazy. They believe that it's true. Have you ever dealt with someone with irrational fear? Fear can be so, wars are started over irrational Fear. Countries divide over irrational fear. We hate each other over irrational fear. Yes or no? Here's the second one. Demonic fear is paralyzing fear. When that fear takes over your life, you can't move. You don't know to go this way. You don't know to go that way. You don't know to back up. You don't know how to pray. You don't know how to believe. You are paralyzed. You ever met someone paralyzed with fear? Oh, it's a difficult thing. And I'm just going to tell you right now, even great counseling, when it's demonic, can't always help a person who's been paralyzed by fear. Now, I, I do have good news, so hold on. Here's the last one. Here's the last thing demonic fear is marked by. It's controlling. 
It will control a person. It controls what they do in the morning, what they think about all day, how they feel, where they work, if they're successful, if their relationships work out, if they're in good relationship with their children. Demonic fear is a controlling issue. And the, the, the worst thing about it is the devil is so good at what he does, you won't recognize that it's demonic fear. You'll think that you have a problem or that the person you're married to has a problem and you won't recognize it for what it is. And God's got to open your eyes to it to be set free. You know, this message is taking far longer than I intended, but I, I just, are you with me? Okay, come on, let's just, you know, the third service can stuff it. I'm doing this right here. So here, listen. <laughs> when you're dealing with demonic fear, it's not enough to have the pastor tell you about it. It's not enough to go and get counseling about it. It's not enough to read a book about it. Listen to what I'm about to say. When demonic fear has taken control of your life, you have to be, listen to the word, delivered from demonic fear. You have to be delivered from it. You have to be set free from it. Luke chapter four, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news and to set at liberty the captive. When you are captive, you have to be set free. You've got to be delivered from it. Okay, real quickly, my daughter, Kate, um, you know, all, all of my children, just like yours, they all, they all struggle with different things, especially when they're little. And you know what's funny is when the devil finds the inroad into someone's life, it doesn't matter how old you get, he always tries to come back and hit that road, doesn't he? It's the well-worn path that we all have in our life. It may not work for me, but if he finds out what works for you, he's gonna attack you with that. And what works for me may not work for you, but that's how he attacks me. Does that make sense? Katie always struggled with fear. And today when the devil tries to attack her, it's fear. But we had this thing where God delivered her from fear. It's three minutes long. I asked her to record it. Watch this because I think there's a message for anybody in this room dealing with fear. Watch this real quick. Hi Jubilee, it's Kate and I just wanted to share just a quick testimony of where I've really seen God um, break through with fear in my life and just really how he's rescued me out of a place, not just of healthy fear, but um, a fear that became far more obsessive, less about preserving life and just far more about sucking the life out of anything that I was doing. So a couple, at the beginning of 2019, I was newly pregnant with our third child, Ivory. And right before that, I had experienced a miscarriage. So coming into my pregnancy with Ivory, I brought in um, a lot of fear. And I think in many ways, a lot of valid fear about miscarrying her and about losing her and in um my second pregnancy with milo i had actually also experienced gestational diabetes so i just came into my pregnancy with her just with a lot of fear and anxiety over what was going to happen and it was no longer um that healthy kind of fear it really bled into it was ruining my life kind of fear. And so 
one Saturday night, um, I had come to church and I was just having a really, really hard time. I had just convinced myself that I was going to lose our ivory and that it was going to be the same story all over again. And so I went and my dad was getting ready for, Pastor John was getting ready for the message. And I went down and it just happened to be me and him and his little office downstairs and um, he could tell visibly that something was wrong with me. And I just looked at him and just was like, I am so afraid. It is um, obsessive. It is ruining my life. It is taking the life out of something that should be so joyful and so exciting. I, I wasn't even excited to be pregnant anymore, even though I had long desired for our sweet little ivory. I just was so afraid to even get attached because of the idea of losing her. And so my dad just looked at me and was like, well, we're going to pray for this and we're just going to take um, control and authority over this. So he just laid hands on me and began to pray. And just, it was simple. It wasn't complex, nothing to it, except he prayed and just cast out the fear in the name of Jesus. And when he said that, he clapped loudly and with authority. And there was something in that moment that set me free. Now, sure, I had days after that or moments, right, that there was that fear that would creep back up, but it wasn't that spirit. There wasn't that overwhelming, uncontrollable fear. There was authority that was taken the instant my dad clapped and prayed over me that I was able to walk out of that room and be able to celebrate and be able to breathe. I felt like I was coming up for fresh air for the first time in a long time, and so I just, my encouragement to all of you is that God really does work. God really can set you free. The impossible really can happen. If you're trapped in that place today, have faith in knowing that God can do anything, that God can set you free from anything, that your fear does not have to bind you. Just because it bound you yesterday doesn't mean it has to bind you today. It happened for me and it can happen for you. Mm. You know, she mentioned the clapping, and I know some are like, what is that? There's actually a scripture in the book of Job where Job said, we clap and we hiss to displace the enemy. So you might think, well, that's weird. How desperate are you to get fear out of your life? It's like, if you're not desperate, then I can't help you. But if you become desperate, somebody clapping is not going to be something to stop you. Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. Um, so by the way, at the end, I'm going to pray for people struggling with demonic fear. So let me give you the third one. I need to set this up. I'm not trying to be dramatic. It's not Pastor John trying to... I just need to say something to you. I think that the Lord has given me a word here. And I want to pronounce the word but I want your heart to receive it. I don't want it to be a word that's not in due season. I don't want it to be a word that just kind of I speak and it goes pew. I believe it's a word from the Lord that he gave me to say to you. So I'm going to talk about godly fear real quickly. What is that? Why is it important? In Acts chapter 19, there's this really interesting story about the Apostle Paul kind of illustrates what the fear of the Lord does. Uh, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. 
when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading Jewish priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit spoke back to them. I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story, here's what I want you to see. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Gentiles. A solemn, what's that word? A solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored or enhanced. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing witchcraft, sorcery, brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. What are we reading about? We are reading about a revival that swept through an entire pagan city. And how did it happen? The fear of the Lord fell on that city so that they didn't just hear about God, but they experienced the real presence of God. And now here's the word of the Lord. God gave me this when I wrote this message. Missing in many believers in most churches is the fear of the Lord. We've become very accustomed at talking about the things of God and not experiencing the tangible presence of God. We asked the question, where are our young people going? And this is what the Lord told me. They have a story, but they've never touched my glory. Did you just hear what I said? They know your story, but they've never touched my glory. We've become professional people at doing church in a slick production. Our music is slick. Our announcements are slick. Our pastor knows how to speak and we've relegated our time to a situation where it can touch our heart, but God's never invited to actually show up and mess up our lives. The fear of the Lord is a powerful thing, David. It's not like, hey, let's you and I, God, get together and drink tea. It's like when God shows up, you can't do anything and it's so real What misses from most young people's lives today, they read stories, but they've never touched the glory of God. And the one thing that will hold a person in place their whole life is when they touch the glory of God. You know what got you? You know why you're sitting here right now? You know why you believe what you believe? Because you touched the real Jesus Christ. But we raise our children with our story and not the reality of the glory of God And uh, it's an indictment against our own church that I'm standing up here and saying right now. Now, the good news is God is so merciful to us. 
And God is not angry with us. And it's not Ichabod. God's not saying, I'm departing from you. Here's what I think God is saying. John, invite me. Ask me. And make room for me to come. And if people are willing, John, let me touch them. Don't you always be trying to touch them. Let me get their hearts. Let me touch your young people. Let me deal with the issues in their life. John, make room for me to show up in the service. And I'll be honest, that makes me nervous. But I don't want to play church and I don't want our young people. I want the fear of the Lord to fall in Jubilee. Can I read something to you that God showed me this week? Second Chronicles chapter seven, which most people know it because it says, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. You know that? Seek my face, then I'll heal their land. That's a wonderful part of Second Chronicles seven, but the very first few verses that set up God healing the land read this way. The glorious presence of the Lord, three times it says this, the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because, second time, the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down, and third time, the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good, He is faithful, and His love endures forever. The only thing that's going to change any of our lives is the glory of God. It's the glory of God. And I know some of you are sitting there going, what is he talking about? I failed, man. Somehow I failed to let that thing come through. And, but, but I'm asking. So I want the glory of God to fill our church so that the preacher can enter the church and the people can only say, look what God did. And I'm not, I, look, I'm not asking for some like, well, that was weird. I, I just think we, we're so comfortable that we miss the very, the word awesome actually comes from the word awful. The presence of God is not just awesome, it's awful. Meaning not just like that's terrible, meaning it is so incredibly supernatural, it changed everything in my life. And if you grew up your whole life and you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm not saying you're not going to heaven, I'm not saying you don't love God, but I'm saying you missed the power of God. And the power of God is available to us. And I think what needs to happen in our world today, you want to know the answer for all the stuff that's going on in our nation. It is not, it is not, it is not, it is not a political problem that we have. We have a spiritual problem in our nation today. And the division will not come with whether you think it's President Trump or President Biden or whoever you, I'm just telling you right, I've lived long enough to tell you it will never come with an election. It will come when the tangible presence of Jesus touches your life. 
You'll never forget it. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, it'll stay with you for the rest of your life. And nobody will ever be able to tell you that God is not real because you experienced something that was more real than the reality that you breathe and see and touch. And I don't know how except to say, God, come to Jubilee. Now, I know he's here, man. I know he's here. I know he does so much here, but guys, there's just, there's, there's something more. There's something more. And I, I'm, I'm excited. And I'm asking, and would you pray with me about it? And would you just ask the Lord? We want more of the Lord. And this one went a little bit different today than it did last night. A little more gentle, maybe. I don't know. But just, you know, your pastor's heart so that you know. I, I don't want to become better at how we do services. I want to become better at the Holy Spirit being able to touch people in our services, man. And just heal people and, and set people free and set their minds right and restore relationships and, oh man, come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Okay. I am going to ask you to be very, very brave. It's a big ask and I know it. But there's something about the desperation of God. I need you to do something in my life that I believe gets God's attention. When, when the need for God is more than even our pride, there's just something about that. So listen what the ask is. If you need to be set free from demonic, ungodly fear, something has seized your mind, your heart, your future, your sleep. That's what the Lord told me about this service. The devil has stolen your sleep. You can't even sleep anymore. Fear comes in the night and, and it's robbing you. And I'm not against medication. Medication's okay, but wouldn't it be better if God healed you so that you didn't even need medication to help you sleep? And I know normally it's bow your head and lift your hand and nobody knows, right? I know. That's comfortable. But that's not today. So I need um, desperate. Hungry. Needful of God's delivering power. People to stand to your feet if that's you. If I identified you, just ignore everybody else. Don't worry about it. Just stand to your feet. God's going to do something really good for you. I promise I'm not going to do anything weird. I will clap. Just so you know. I'm going to stall for just a second because I just know how this goes. Um, if you wished, oh, I wish I would have stood up a second ago when everybody else did. Stand up right now. Don't miss out. And if you're like, well, do I have to stand for this? This time you do. I don't know why. 
I'm just telling you what God told me. And if you just find, you know, no more, no more, no more. I just want you to be bold, be brave, big ask, stand to your feet. Hmm. There's a young man in our church that my son Daniel, Pastor Daniel, led him to the Lord. And it was just this radical thing that happened for this, this guy. And then not long after he finds Christ, he begins to have these panic attacks. And the devil starts telling him, it's because of, of Jesus that you're having these panic. The devil's just such a liar. So I start fasting for this guy and praying for him. And here's how I knew it was spiritual. The moment I begin to fast and pray for him, I, panic attacks start coming at me. And I knew I was messing with something spiritually. So I just had to double down and say, no more. And so I just, I'm going to say it one more time. If that, if it's panic, and especially at nighttime, I know I'm talking to somebody right now. I know it. Do not be afraid right now. It's not going to trigger an attack. It's not, it's not going to set something off. God's going to deliver you right now. He's going to deliver you. So I'm just holding for one last second. One last second. Okay. Any of my staff that's in here, if you'd like to go stand next to someone or just stretch your hands towards them, you can be mindful of COVID for sure, but go stand with them real quick or stand around them. Just stretch your hands out to pray with me. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. Okay, <clears throat> so listen to my words. Father, in the name of Jesus, the only name under heaven that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Here's what I declare and I proclaim over the lives of your people. Any spirit that will not bow the knee to Jesus, that will not submit to his authority, that will not say Jesus is Lord, I take authority over you, I cast you away and out. You have no right to hassle God's people anymore. You can't affect their mind, you can't mess with their sleep, you can no longer cause panic and fear, you can't lie to them, you can't deceive them, you have to let go because of the name of Jesus. You don't belong. You're a usurper, a liar. You operate an authority that's not yours, hoping that a believer won't become wise to who they are in Christ. Well, we say right now, any spirit that will not bow to the Lordship of Jesus does not belong in a believer's life. And in Jesus' name, I say, stop it. Let go. We dislodge you. We tell you you have no place here. You have no authority any longer. And you may try to come back. And of course, that's your MO. I'll leave for a moment, but I'll come back. But here's what I say to you, believer. Listen, may the Holy Spirit fill that void in your life so that the enemy no longer can find a foothold. 
And if you're standing right now needing to be free, but outside of a relationship with Jesus, I've got to tell you, you need to surrender your life to Christ right now because you are the perfect candidate for the enemy to come back and harass you. You must fill that thing in your life with the Lord Jesus. So say to him, God, my life belongs to you. Fill my life. Every inroad, every lie, every well-worn path that the devil has found to afflict you, to attack you right now, I'm asking that God would seal it up with a hedge of protection, that the devil would find no way in. And listen to me, last thing, listen. If God shows you right now what it is that's allowing the enemy to come into your life, that's giving him uh, an authority to attack you, here's what I need you to do. I need you to repent. I need you to renounce it. I need you to tell the Lord, no more, no more. Now, I recognize sometimes we have habits and sometimes we have things that hold on to us and we feel powerless over those things. But I'm saying to you, you are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are the blessed and not the cursed. You are the first and not the last. God is your God. And the devil does not have the authority any longer to afflict you. And I'm pronouncing over you right now, wholeness, this thing must go. You must go. You must go. You must go. Ooh, I bind to you the goodness of the Lord. I bind to you (laughs) the joy of the Lord. I bind to you a mind that's clear and that's, that's solid. I bind to you right now that, that fear thing that, that just comes over and over. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm telling you right now, uh, he's a liar. And that's exactly what you need to say when it comes. You are a liar. That is not the truth. You have the mind of Christ and you are stable and you are steady. And this is your day. Friend, this is your day. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Okay. Yep. Amen for God. Amen for God. Okay. I want you to do one more thing with me. I I just, even if you go with that, I just, I want you to say out loud the only name that's been given under heaven that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. That name raises the dead, stops the demonic, and causes God to hear our prayers. One, two, three, his name is? Jesus. Jesus. We raise up Jesus in this place. Amen and amen. Okay, normally Pastor Jay would come dismiss you, but the pastor has waxed elegantly for a very long period of time. So please be safe and go home and reinforce the victory that God has for you. I love you and I bless you. Have a wonderful weekend.